Circle of Birth podcast, reclaiming our birth potential with ancient wisdom and stories from birth and beyond, sharing the rich spectrum of family diversity and transformation, stories worldwide bringing together community and connectivity. Come together with story medicine and inspire at our unique birth journeys. We breathe, we birth, we become. Welcome to episode 51 and welcome to an epic and absolutely essential podcast to listen to. I decided not to split it up and you can enter in and out of this beautiful journey with Catherine and I. So why are we feeling that home birth is really not in a space to be celebrated in Australia and worldwide? This story will unravel some of the mysteries of why women are still subjected to an absolute barrage of political, business and oppression driven birth culture. This story is a hard reality of a woman that wants to be supported by her midwife and her birth team and knows how the system takes charge to make sure that there are many hurdles as possible. Catherine is a beautiful, beautiful connected soul and her story is now a gift in ours. So take the time to read her blog if you can. The links I've put in the show notes and I've actually copied the whole blog in there too. She has compiled a list of amazing resources for this blog for you guys. So... The audio dips in and out in some parts, yet this story and Catherine's beautiful articulation trumps all of that. So welcome to the story and be open to the medicine. Hi, welcome Catherine. Um, Amazing to have you finally. We've been trying for a while, but I think today's the perfect day for us to connect. So welcome to the Circle of Earth. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for having me. I'm, I'm... Very honoured to be here, especially um, amongst all of some of my most, um, the most inspiring women to be part of um, this collective is really, yeah, really uh, humbling and um, I'm super grateful. So thanks for having me. Yay. Yeah. And you are part of this too and such an essential part because what we're going to talk about today is something you've so well stepped into and a story that is really needed to be shared and um, it is an honour for me to hear this too so for everyone to listen so thank you for stepping up to this. Thank you. Mm. So do you want to sort of take us back and uh, four years ago you were pregnant with Sunny and what were you doing then? Were you into birth work and how was your life shaping? Yeah, so um, I should probably preface my, uh, the podcast just, and I've been told by a few people, um, that if anybody feels kind of um, triggered or like anything comes up, that there are people that they can chat to and not to feel like they have to sort of um, suffer in silence. So if anything comes up for anyone, I just wanted to put that out there because I know that some bits of my story might um, – uh, yeah, be upsetting for some people. But um, so four years ago. I'll put actually, the, sorry, I'll just say I'll put the links in the show notes for that people that can connect with too. So thank you yes. for putting that there. Okay, Thanks. go. <laughs> um, actually, so almost five years ago, so Sonny's almost, uh, he's almost five. Uh, I was, uh, I was a doula. And well, I was studying to be a doula, but I had also studied midwifery um, and I had done my social work, I'd done a psychology degree and a social work degree and I was working um, as a school counsellor um, and 
we got pregnant. We kind of went, um, we weren't totally planning, but we weren't like unhappy either. We were very excited. Um, my husband and I have been together a really, really long time since we were teenagers. So I'd been in the birth birth field, I suppose, for since about 2008 or 2009 and I got to know the home birth community in Adelaide really well and I got to know the midwives and um, I used to go along to the home birth network meetings when they were on and it was a really tight little community. There was lots of face-to-face stuff and um, the online stuff wasn't as prominent as it is now. Um, So I was really aware of what was kind of going on and what birth was all about and I'd uh, attended quite a lot of births as a midwifery student and then um, was just I'd left midwifery I decided midwifery wasn't where I wanted to be um, for a whole range of reasons Um, and then I did a placement in a termination clinic and decided that women-centered care uh, for me was going to be more in the field of like social work and doula work and mentoring type work um so yeah I was pretty aware of kind of birth physiological birth and what I would want for a birth so I was about I don't know maybe like six weeks pregnant or not even and I already knew who I wanted my midwife to be I already knew who all the midwives were um and I we never considered a hospital birth um it was always going to be a home birth um called her up straight away and she was like yep cool I'll book you in um and then call me back in a couple of weeks because it's quite early but she was amazing and um just as midwives are I just I really love midwives and she was so supportive and you know as much as I had supported a lot of being for yourself always brings up um you know the nervousness and that that sort of thing and can I just I ask guess I, I, yeah yeah can I just ask um when you say it, home birth was a given was that what was your birth like your own birth was that something that was passed down or no yeah. not at all my mum um my mum had obstetricians so she had private private um births private hospital births for me and my um she my own birth I'd heard a lot about my mum always says that she almost died so it was a little bit traumatic for her but mostly she's always seen it that you'd need a doctor there and that I guess birth is inherently uh needing some form of intervention like is not is not safe on its own so that's sort of how I grew up but for me, I don't know. I've had a lot of healings and stuff and, and people sort of say to me that I've done this in past lives and things, which feels really, which resonates really strongly with me because for me right from a really, really young age, um, my friends would say to, I don't know, when you're little and you, we were talking about when we want to have babies and things like that, I would always say, um, you know, when I have a baby, I want to be able to feel it. I, I don't understand why why women want to have drugs and things like I don't know why they don't they want to numb it out like for me it was right from a really really young age birth has always fascinated me I used to look through all of my mum's um my mum's a teacher so she has a bunch of like those those funny kind of sex ed books and things and the anatomy books and it used to just fascinate me so much and I don't know where it came from but birth was just always 
on my mind and uh, I wanted yeah. to work with women and um, I just felt deep in my cells that birth was safe and that um, I just wanted to give birth to my babies without any intervention that I, I I just always felt like I could do it and that's just what we do you know yeah so that's probably some deep lineage stuff that's come through for you hasn't it yeah yeah. and even grandmother had five kids and her first two births were home births because they didn't she birthed in Italy and they didn't have um hospital births back then uh, where she was and they were really traumatic for her because they were really really long so you know I, I did have two you know the two maternal people above me that had some form of trauma and and it didn't really bother me I guess until I thought about it once I'd had my own kids um but yeah and so so when I did midwifery and I it it was the polar opposite of what I thought it was and I grieved a lot that midwifery wasn't um it, it was so different from the independent midwives that I hung out with. There were like these two really opposite um, groups practicing at the same time. And I would hang out with um, the independent midwives and the home birth community. And it was, you know, they would sit around with their knitting and they would say that they would take on the knitting because the women, you know, needed you to sit there and keep your hands busy. And then I would study midwifery. I'd go, I'd go to the hospital with midwifery and it was all you know, very hands-on and it wasn't what I wanted to do. And um, But I knew that I wanted those independent midwives at my birth because I wanted them sitting there with their knitting and letting me do what I needed to do. So I really trusted birth. I really trusted that my body just knew what to do. Um, I trusted my midwife so much. I trusted, yeah, I just had trust, which I think a lot of women, first-time mums don't often have is that trust. Um, which I think is why I struggled uh, when things didn't work out the way they did or the way that I had wanted them to. Um, but I, I understand why that is now and I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, so anyway, I went, I did all the things that I thought I was supposed to do, um, you know, that you, you do all the things, you trust your body and babies just come out and that's the line they to come out and uh, you know, I went had acupuncture and I had chiro and I had massage and I um, talked to my baby and I did meditation. I did, you know, I ticked off all the things that, that I would talk to other women about and I um, had seen women give birth at home and it was beautiful and amazing and it's all I really wanted. I went into labour with Sunny um, at about just over 40 weeks and I was a bit impatient about him coming. Um, and it, I think it's that due date thing, you know, even though I knew it's just like a date, it doesn't mean anything, it does kind of creep into your head. Anyway, he wasn't in a great position. He was asynclitic, so his head was um, a little bit uh, crooked. And I think my head just my I, – I, I can look back on it now and I understand my – my brain and my mind got in the way of me actually really being able to let go. Um, And I was so logical about it. You know, you do this, you do this, you do this, your body will just work and it'll all just work out how, you know, it'll just happen. 
Um, but I think I was way too linear about it and I didn't actually allow myself to just um, drop in where I needed to and go to that primal state. Anyway, I was in labour at home for about 50 hours and because he was um, asynclitic, the contractions just rolled over each other. So it wasn't like it was sort of those, you know, I didn't get any breaks mm, at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard. It was really hard, and I kept sort of saying to my midwife, like, um, "What can I do? What else can I do? Like, surely there's something else I can do." And she's like, "Well, we can just kind of keep going and trusting that things are happening." And she was really amazing. And I had um, another friend who's a midwife, and she was there, and they were just so amazing. And I just kept going and going. But the problem was, and I think part of the issue physiologically as well was that I was really dehydrated I was vomiting a lot so every contraction I was vomiting really badly and I just didn't have left yeah um so anyway we had to make that but I was I was determined I was like this is just gonna happen it just happened anyway we ended up um transferring into the hospital which I really didn't want to do but so I feel like there were so many positives I can see now, looking back at the time, I didn't think so. At the time, I felt like such a failure um, and I felt that my body didn't work. Um, but now I look back and I see how much that experience has allowed me to see um, birth on such a deeper level. You know, I think if I'd had this ideal home birth um, that I had wanted, I would have missed out on such – not that I would wish, you know, a traumatic birth on anybody, but um, – I guess I, I'm taking the lessons out of it of what I needed in order to do the work that I do now. Um, it, it shaped me in lots of ways and it allowed me to, yeah, just, just add so much depth to birth because often in the natural birthing kind of world, there's a lot of pressure on women that if you do a certain thing, you'll get a certain type of birth and that wasn't sort of the case for me. Um, I knew a lot about birth. I was really educated. I really understand um, the physiology but when you're in it you know anything can happen and I and Jane often talks about you know we have the birth experiences that we Jane Hardwick Collins talks about we have the experiences that we need um, for ourselves and I really really believe that and I and I think Sonny had the birth that he needed for whatever reason anyway I was didn't want to go to hospital but I did and I was actually quite I was quite grateful to be there because it had been so long and I hadn't Mm. and I was so dehydrated and I was so grateful to my midwife because she came with me and if it wasn't for her um like the staff treated me so well because she was there like the anaesthetist loved her oh wow so that makes all the difference already doesn't it it made (sighs) it made a hundred percent of the difference I have no doubt because um I think there's, there's obviously a lot of stigma. Um, I mean, I think the staff are amazing anyway, but having her there really, for me, made such a difference and she advocated for me to have um, to have my birth plan read over and I'm, I'm certain that if I'd gone in there without her um, or without the knowledge that I had, I would have had a cesarean. They were pretty cross um, and, and frustrated that I had been in labour for as many hours as I had been and that I was as dehydrated. But I was fine and my baby was fine and we got to make the choices that were right for us. Um, 
and I was educated enough to decline and the midwives, not just my midwife, but the midwife that was on, you know, stepped up and was like, you don't need this. Um, they were going to give me Sinto and they made sure that they didn't put it as high because I didn't need it as high. I was already in labour um, as what the obstetricians had said. And it was interesting because there was an obstetrician on and she didn't believe that I would be able to push my baby out. She said it to me straight up. She was like, no, nah, you've been in labour too long. Your uterus is tired. This baby isn't coming out vaginally, but, you know, you can give it a go if you want. <laughs> like, yep, okay, cool, I will. And I and her face in my mind, I can still see her face in my mind, really gave me the determination. Like, I've been in labour this long. Um, we're doing it my way. Mm. Anyway, I had a really, you know, given the circumstances, I had quite a positive experience. Um and I got, I did get to do it on my terms. It wasn't what I wanted at all. Um, and I did, it, it was really hard on my body. Um, but you know what? I pushed, I pushed him out of my vagina and that made me really happy. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, you know, find once you got hydrated that things picked up for you better? Yes. Yeah. So I hydrated. Um, I had, I, I, you know, I look back and I go, well, I needed more sort of salts and I needed more things, but the vomiting was quite, um, is really what yeah. what inhibited me, you know, inhibited my uterus from working and um, having water, like being able to have the shower and all of those things that I that I I didn't have. We ran out of hot water filling up the pool at our house. So when we got to hospital, we had unlimited hot water, and I was it. Was, I laughed about how grateful I was, you know, to be able to go there. Um, yeah, yeah. Obstetrician stayed two hours after her shift, which you don't really hear of very often. To make a point that she didn't think it was going to happen. Oh. And I came in and I was like, there's too many people in the room. There's too many people in the room. She's like, well, I can go. I was like, no, I want you to stay. <laughs> you need to see this. <laughs> you need to stay. Anyway, it was, you know, it was great. It was great to do it on my terms. Yeah. And how, um, how did it feel like, you know, that moment when he got cast into your arms? Like, tell me about that. After 50 epping out, like, epic hours of labor like how does that feel 72 hours wow um oh it was really it was a blur I cried and I've still got the photo and it still makes me cry when I look at it I think because there was I felt really shattered because I felt like the trust in my body had kind of been gone had kind of been lost but then all these other feelings of like I did it as well. So it was this huge, it was this huge, big, um, epic moment of just all of the feelings. And I didn't get, I didn't get, unfortunately, I didn't get the oxytocin rush, you know, that afterbirth. It was, it was quite a rough postpartum period. My milk didn't come in for ages and my iron was like, really depleted and we had to go back into hospital for about a week after he got jaundice and there was all this stuff that sort of happened but what it did was allow me to see that um not that I ever sort of said you know the hospital is a bad place but it allowed me to see it firsthand to see you know that there is a place um for that when we do need it um and what can make a difference for women when they do have to go there, you know, the things that can really impact whether you get to maintain control. Mm. Um, And I got to see firsthand some of the 
some of the manipulation that was tried on me as well, you know, to get me to do the things that they wanted me to do and to act as if I was incapable of making a decision. Um, I had an obstetrician kind of come up to me and use this really soft, sweet language in my ear as I, you know, thinking that I, that I couldn't really, I wasn't really capable of making a decision and I shouldn't have had to make a decision. And I think part of that was why I couldn't flick out into my primal brain. Um, but at the end of the day, I did get to maintain the control over what happened. Um, and that was a good thing. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me like, like you said at the start about the trusting in your body, that this is a woman that's just cracked like a massive mother shell and has just shown up maintaining that you knew that you could do this and you trusted in your body. Yes. And, and you navigated which is really hard for a first-time birth because, yeah. you, like you know, most of us take second or third, whatever, to to get this strength. You maintained that throughout this whole experience. Like, yes. how amazing. But, yeah, of course, like 72 hours, you're going to be like, blah. It was a long time. And it, and it did me a little bit because, um, yeah, because I was so like, and I think, you know, some people who do know about birth beforehand are like, yep, yeah, it's just like this and, it, you know, it just goes like this and that's how it is. And I maybe a little bit naive, but um, just when you think about the women that don't have that understanding or experience of of birth or knowledge beforehand, like my husband was really educated as well and he stood up for me heaps of times. He would say, you know, don't you dare cut that cord, you know, they'd be wanting to cut the cord straight away and he was the one saying like don't you, don't touch it, don't do anything. So I have some really amazing people who advocated for me Mm. um, and who knew what I wanted and stood up for me. But women that don't have that um, or don't know what they don't know, come into that system not knowing what their options are and that really hit me as well you know this is why we need to do the work to support women to know that they have a right to say no um and when when to know to go with it you know and when not (laughs) because they don't want to yeah and that was that was and it's hard to do when you're in labour. So I was really grateful I had all of that information beforehand. But it did really shatter me in terms of my confidence. Um, I still trusted birth, um, but I lost trust in my own body. Mm. And I lost trust. I I suffered pretty badly with postnatal depression after that. I couldn't – I struggled to get back into sort of birth works. Um, Sonny struggled. He was – he had lots of stuff. He was really high needs baby. Mm. And so my birth was didn't kind of go how I wanted. My um, baby was like always crying. We didn't sleep. You know, it was really quite stressful as first-time parents who have a really high needs baby understand. Um, it was really rough. It was really, really rough. And yeah. I, I'd always thought I'd have lots of kids. And then I was like, no, I don't think I can ever do that again. So yes. what did you do? Like tell me how tell me how you got support or what how you sort of navigated through that because this is really important I guess to yeah. talk about for people that might not even realize that they're in that because you know that's crazy like sleep cycle no sleep yeah. cycle thing that you get into that you don't even know you can pull yourself out of like you've gone <laughs> like <laughs> it was horrendous. I'm pretty in tune with my body so and I'm pretty aware of um when I'm not 
you know, when you're spiraling down in not a good place. And I have a background in mental health, which can be hard still to actually understand what your, um, like your own self, like it's easy to support other people, but when it's yourself, sometimes we don't take our own advice, but I was pretty aware that I was not in a good place. Um, my husband was pretty affected by the birth as well. Um, Sonny was obviously quite affected by the birth. <laughs> yeah. He had lots of Cairo to kind of get him physically kind of okay and sleeping. Um, I was just really aware that things were not okay and I had to seek out support. Um, I have good family, but it was really lonely. It was really lonely for quite a long time, for probably a year, like the first year the hardest um I had another friend who actually was due her due date was the same day as mine and she had the same midwife and we met by accident and um and we were like she's like oh I'm due on this day oh me too I've got this midwife oh me too we've both got (laughs) midwife on the same day how does that work anyway she ended up birthing about two weeks before me um and she had a home birth transfer as well and ended up with a cesarean. So she was struggling with some of the similar things that was. And basically that was probably my biggest lifeline for that time because she was the only one that really understood those, other than my husband, those really deep feelings. You get lots of family saying, well, you know, at least everybody's healthy and at least you know, you're all okay. But none of that helped me. It just made me feel worse. So everybody would say you know, at least everyone's healthy and at least, you know, at least whatever. No, nothing ever feels good when it starts with at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, and coming, coming from that home birth background, you know, it's what it, it was a dream I'd always had. It was something I was really hardcore grieving and I don't think women talk enough about grieving um, postnatally. So not only was I grieving the birth that I wanted, but I was really grieving um, I'd had quite a – good position as a school counsellor. I was missing my work. I was missing the kids. Um, I was missing adult contact. As much as it was great being at home with my baby, it also wasn't. I was exhausted. I was tired. He screamed all the time. And you really, it's that transition. Um, is That first time, it, it, you almost have to be broken in. I felt like I was broken into a million pieces and I wasn't quite sure how to put myself back together um so it was just one day at a time really it was just one day at a time and my friend who was going through something similar and then at a year roughly a year I realized that I wasn't feeling better and um I got in contact with a perinatal psychologist who is local but she's also a midwife she's also a registered midwife and that made all the difference. I was supposed to go back to work um, and I just wasn't well enough to go back to work. I had to leave my job and, and I went through a massive unravelling of everything. You know, we really had to prioritise everything. And as much as that experience was the hardest, one of the hardest times of my life, I'm also now looking back on it, I can be really grateful because it put me on the path of where I really need needed to be which is here and now and doing the work that I'm doing now um but yeah it was really hard yeah (laughs) and I feel like I put myself back together you know I really did and um maybe the all of the cracks are still there but that's okay like they've all taught me these amazing lessons was and and having support and acknowledging that something is not right um and even just 
first time parents or you know any new parents it's it's rough <laughs> well it can be it, it, it isn't always but you know just that lack of sleep the new routines the you know all of the things that we talk about we just need more of a community and more of a tribe and we're not meant to raise kids by ourselves that yeah. was never yeah never I- Never the way. Yeah, I'm just so glad you said that because we're, it's kind of like we go against the grain in the way that our societal structure is for raising kids. Like Completely, completely. And I know I used to say it but I didn't really understand what it meant until I had my own kids and you just need <clears> – I, I found it really hard to leave the house. Sonny would scream all the time. So it was hard to kind of go to mum's groups and connect with other women and that's where I was, I, you know – I found those people, little handful of people that would support me no matter what and I could support them because they were going through the same thing Um, and that's where social media did help, you know, Facebook and texting and stuff really did help Um, because sometimes people wonder, like, why aren't you getting out and why aren't you coming to this and coming to that and, yeah, it it can be hard and just acknowledging that and asking for help makes can make all the difference. Yeah, and you're exactly right, right. Like people that have been through these type of experiences are like 100% usually always what I've found really out there wanting to help. They're like they yeah. want to be there to help you. They're like, call me, call me, like I'm yes. here. <laughs> and I just think we just need to go, yeah, like be brave enough to to take yes. that help yeah in the past we would have had a whole community of people who would have taken our baby and you know cooked for us and all of those things you know and we would have been able to really recover my body was completely shattered we just need to support each other and validate and not judge, but just um be there for whatever is coming up and and to acknowledge that grief is a really big part even if you're ecstatic and don't have postnatal depression um grief can still creep in and that's okay and it's about moving from one phase to the next phase and that's why acknowledging that that transition and that crossing the threshold from one phase to the next is so undervalued and just so important because when we don't do it we don't have the the skills or the tools to really cope with the the heavy grief that can come with it you're listening to the circle of birth podcast circleofbirth.com so moving into Bodhi and yes. your your big story here and uh, just looking at the post, you've got the title Speaking the Unspeakable, which is very fitting, why I'm not celebrating home birth. So do you want to lead us into the pregnancy and how this all came up, came out for you and the wisdom and the knowledge and just tell us the yeah. story? <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so the reason I told Sunny's story is because um, – it really leads into the fact that I had that experience as, you know, a mid-student and a doula and um, in the birth world for, well, I think it was by the time I was pregnant with Bodhi, it was probably like close to six or seven years that I had been in the birth culture in Adelaide anyway. Um, And I was, and the fact that I had kind of, I had lost trust in my body. I hadn't lost trust in birth, but just it was more of a personal thing. So it took us quite a long time to kind of go, 
yep, I think um, we want to have another baby and um, this be the right time. So he was about three by that stage and um, I was obviously feeling a lot better and everything was feeling good. Um, but we had decided to um, pack up our house and go with a with a caravan um, around Australia and just kind of find I don't know whatever we would find on the road um, so we went traveling and my husband got really really unwell um, and we happened to get pregnant on the road which was exciting and then my husband got really unwell had chronic fatigue for a long time um, much, much worse and to suddenly make our way home and our home was rented out and so we were living with my mother-in-law all the way, like an hour, almost an hour away from our house. Everything was really, really uncertain um, and we were really unsure about what was, what was going to happen and I wasn't sure whether we could... Um, book into a hospital or whether we could have our um, midwife again. Um, I called my midwife. So she obviously lives on the other side of town where our house is. So we, we weren't really sure what was going to go on because we were currently living with my mother-in-law until our house was um, available. We were able to move back in. Um, anyway, I called my midwife and she was sort of, um, she wasn't, she didn't say yes, but she didn't say no. So things I didn't realise at the time, but things were uncertain for her because she was looking at moving. And in the end she did. She moved to um, Queensland um, to take on a really amazing job um, for the uni, which is great, uh, great for her. But Adelaide, in the time between having Sunny and getting pregnant again, Adelaide has gone through quite a big hit that I don't, you know, some people know about it, but not everybody does. So um, we've just really gone through a hit where we, we don't have any midwives really. Um, for it, they brought out um, an actual law, like a legislation around doulas um, and unregistered, anyone who's unregistered attending births where a, where a registered um, professional isn't present so if, if there's a registered health professional not present, if a doula or anybody else who's unregistered is present, um, they can be charged. How, tell me how, okay, firstly, is South Australia in Australia the only state that has this thus far? Currently. Yeah. Yes, called restricted birthing practices. <laughs> wow. And tell me, like, how the fuck does that work if your partner's there? <laughs> And some, and the baby comes out before you get to the hospital, or this is the you know like so I've got so many area, yeah yeah the great area is that you, you have to be um, you have to be charged with having pra- with having um, practiced midwifery without a license. So there's a few things that they list um, that if you're seen as, as practicing midwifery without a license and you're an unregistered pro- um, professional at a birth without a registered professional present, then you can be charged. But it is a bit of a gray area because we would, as doulas, we had to kind of get together and go, what what does this look like for us and what does this mean? For some doulas, um, it, they're not all that fast. Um, 
But for a group of us, we were quite concerned about what this looks like because the grey area really is, well, what if you were to use a heat pack or what if you were to, you know, do, um, you know, pressing the hips together or, like, is that seen as midwifery? Like, no, technically it's not. It's not technically seen as midwifery, but if they wanted to, to press charges, would we be safe? And if the woman decided that she didn't want to call, you know, somebody even though she had said that she was going to her midwife or an ambulance or whatever where does that leave us as doulas like what's our responsibility um and exactly what about the partner and what about if they um what if somebody else was present you know so it was it's a very it's it's we all got a bit freaked out by it Um, and it left us all feeling quite nervous in the meantime we had we had quite a big group of independent midwives. Um, by the time I had, by the time I was pregnant again, there was two, two independent midwives. Wow. Um, one is currently, uh, so out of that big group, a whole bunch stopped practising. Um, some of them were reported. So there was kind of a, um, a bit of, a routine of midwives getting reported on transfer. So midwives Yeah, and just to mention too that um, this is what we stood up for in the Mothers for Midwife rally. The reports were by the hospital staff, not the families. Yes. Majority. Abs- yeah. Yes, they were by the hospital staff, by obstetricians. They were being reported just for transferring, which is what we want midwives to do if they think there's an issue. Like if my midwife, because, I mean, I transferred in my first birth, you know, if she had been reported just for transferring, you know, we want midwives to feel comfortable to say, I think there's an issue. Um, I think, you know, now's the time we need to transfer. That's that's a good midwife, you know. Um, so that had been happening. So there were quite a few midwives who had left. Um, there was quite a few midwives who lost their registration and there, we, there is still a midwife on trial for manslaughter um, and that's worldwide news. So that doesn't look good for home birth yeah. either. And Adelaide, at all. <laughs> South Australia. That, that's right. And because she was practising um, as a birth advocate, which at the time was technically legal, um, she she wasn't practising as a doula, she was practising as a birth advocate. Um, that's why the legislation came out to stop anybody um, practising as a midwife who didn't have a, have their registration. Um, yeah, right, yeah. So, so yeah, so what else. week of pregnancy were you at when all of this was sort of happening? So we came back um, from New South Wales when I was about 10 weeks, I reckon, and my midwife. So we were in a bind and Adelaide was in a bind. So we were in a bind financially because my husband was so unwell. We didn't know if he would, he was in and out of hospital. We didn't know if he would be able to work or what was going to happen. So for us, um, paying $5,000 for a midwife was quite, daunting and we just weren't sure that we could do it but then at the same time I couldn't think of birthing any other way um and then there weren't that many independent midwives my midwife had gone and there wasn't really there weren't really many others um 
and they're all so I'm I was lucky I suppose and I can say that loosely lucky that I was technically low risk um because then I could have access to an independent midwife or to the midwifery group practice so we decided after my midwife went to Queensland we decided that we would and she said to you know like there's a midwife at the local midwifery group practice who used to practice independently um maybe you should consider that so and that's that was kind of where we were at we thought well that that sort of ticks off the boxes in terms of still having a home birth um we still get a midwife who's got really amazing experience who trusts physiological birth um and we don't have to pay so I thought that having an MGP birth would be just like having an independent midwife little did I know that that is definitely not the case. Um, so you don't get allocated a midwife until you're about 20 weeks. So that was a struggle in itself because I was coming from a place of someone who had, I had struggled with postnatal depression. Um, I'd had PTSD from my first birth. You know, I was nervous and I was able to call my midwife for support and I was lucky for that, but most women don't have that. Yeah. Um, And I went to the booking appointment where you kind of sign up and say that you want to be in the practice, which, and I may or may not have even got in, you know, not everyone gets in. There's very limited places. You have to be low risk. And she sort of said, well, you know, you don't need a midwife because your baby's not viable until 20 weeks anyway. And I sort of said, well, it's not just about my baby, is it? It's about me as well. Um, But that's just how it is. So we booked in with there. um, We managed to moved back home and things were kind of moving along a bit more smoothly and I thought everything was kind of going okay and then um I met my midwife at about 16 weeks I think maybe um and then we were told that they just brought in a policy that if you want to have a home birth you have to agree to the now mandatory tests and the mandatory tests are the uh glucose the um, gestational diabetes glucose test and the um, GBS swab, which who, I had to. Who was that decided by? Uh, the hospital, possibly the insurance company. I think there had been some. I, I'm not. I'm not sure who kind of decided, but it just filtered down to the hospitals. Okay. Yeah. So they're not mandatory if you're birthing in the hospital. They're only mandatory if you're having a home. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, so that that really stumped me and made me pretty cross because I declined those, yeah, in my first birth easily. And ha- if I had an independent, I probably could have declined them pretty easily as well. Um, but because I was part of the system and if I want, you know, you're so lucky to have a home birth, a free home birth, so you need to abide by our rules. But to me, it just felt so wrong that I was being forced um, to do something that wasn't consensual um, and, you know, essentially blackmailed. If you want a home birth, if you want to birth the way that you want to, then this is what you have to do. So I spent quite a few weeks having to write letters. Um, I wrote letters to a bunch of the politicians and policymakers and nobody cared. Mm. Um 
nobody cared. And I've written on my blog all the ins and outs of what that means. You know, some people really want the testing, um, but irrespective, we shouldn't be mandated to have anything in our body that we don't want to have. And my blog outlines why those tests aren't always, I mean, they're not, they're not even done in some states, you know. So to yeah. have it yeah. free, in Queensland you don't have the um, – GBS swab and it's all about having um it's all about macrosomia so big babies you know it's all about well if you have a big baby then 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 you can't have a home birth but having gestational diabetes doesn't automatically mean you're going to have a big baby either yeah Yeah. Um, I mean yeah you could have a small baby with gestational diabetes so that's right and there's no other way to to determine that you know so and the other thing was she said well if you decline um if you get no, if you get if you do the GBS test and it comes back positive, you have to have um, the antibiotics throughout labour. So so that's mandatory as well. Yeah. Um, so you can't decline that either. Yeah, but so, you'll be in the hospital at that point. So not, <laughs> no. So you could have. Well, I can't remember whether. Yeah. Well, you probably would, wouldn't you? Yeah. So I'm thinking like. So I, there's all these, like, I have to be low risk, which I was. So I tick it, you know, you have to tick all these boxes, boxes so yeah. to even get there. And then at any stage, if you become high risk, you're out of there anyway. And then on top of that, so I, you know, I was feeling a bit nervous about um, how my body was going to go. You know, am I going to vomit? Am I going to have a really long labor again? How are things going to go? My midwife kind of dismissed them all like, it's your second baby. It'll just slide out, you know, but it wasn't really making me, uh, I was, you know, I was still nervous because that's just how it was. Yeah. And I had a lot of support for that. Um, but she didn't really get it. Like she didn't really get the sort of the mental health side. And I had asked her what happens if you're not available. And she said, well, so her two backups don't attend um, home birth. They don't do home birth. So I yep. couldn't have anybody else on her team. Um, and so I'd question whether maybe I should move teams because I really wanted to know, like I really wanted to at least know one other person like because that's what continuity of care is, isn't it, when you get to know your midwife and they get to know you. But I never met another midwife. I never met a backup um, throughout my pregnancy really. Um, right up until the very last week, um, even though my psychologist said, you know, let's write a letter, let's see if we can get, you know, somebody to be a backup um, that you that you know, or like, because if you're on another team and everybody attends home birth, you know who the team is. But she was sort of saying, well, you'll just get anybody who's on. Um, I did have a friend say, well, who works in in the group practice say, well, you know, if I'm on, I could come. But it was very uncertain. So our whole lives have been uncertain. Then the mandatory testing, then uncertainty around who would even attend my birth. My gut was telling me, get out of there. What are you doing? This is not what you want. Um, So the biggest lesson for me out of this whole experience has been my intuition has just completely flourished and, like, exploded. Um... And I, I really regret not listening because even then it was just yelling at me, like, this is not what you want. This is not what you want. Um, and the right, spending my pregnancy writing letters to politicians 
was just not what I wanted to be. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, too, you probably had all the stuff coming up from Sunny's birth that you had to work through, and yeah, yeah. Huge. Husband was still unwell, you know, and things were still uncertain with that. So yeah, we had it was massive. It was really massive. And anyway, I just I don't know why we do the things we do, even though our gut is screaming at us. But I just. <laughs> I just kept going with it. I just kept thinking it'll be okay. Um, she'll she'll be there. She, you know, my midwife kept saying it's okay to work out how it's meant to work out, um, which wasn't helpful. But you know, she sort of said, "Well, I didn't really have a choice at that point. Like, I, I d- couldn't really back out." And the only, and a lot of people kept saying to me, "Just have a free birth. Just have a free birth. Just have a free birth." And so much of me wanted to say, "Yes, I will have a free birth," but there was still the distrust of my body from my last experience and that really was the clincher for me. I think had it had been Sunny's birth, I probably would have had that trust and gone, yeah, that's fine, you know, but I did not trust that I would feel safe without a midwife and I really, really wanted a midwife. I love midwives and the experience that you get with them when they support you in the way that midwives do and only people who have had a continuity of care midwife know what I mean yeah. um, it's really yeah. it's hard to put to words that relationship that you form with a midwife and when they come and they nurture you you know I'm a person that does a lot of nourishing and nurturing of other women it was it felt kind of like well it was my turn to have that experience with a midwife doing her amazing zone of genius stuff um to support me and my husband through that time, I really did not, I just didn't want a free birth. I really didn't. And I didn't think that I should have to either. And with everything going on legally um, in Adelaide, I felt worried about the prospect of, of free birthing as well. So I kind of put it out of my mind. I just went, well, I don't want a free birth. Um, I really want a midwife and I deserve to have a midwife because that's what, you know, that's what the evidence says. And, and I went and watched that you know, um, why not home movie? And, you know, I've seen all these documentaries. We all know that home birth, if that's what the woman wants and that's where she feels safe, if that's where she feels safe physically and spiritually and emotionally and mentally, then that's where she should be. Yeah. So I plotted along um, and I just kept kind of skimming over all of the sort of warning signs around how I was feeling and just thought, well, you know, I can do this and so long as I have a midwife sitting in the corner, it will be fine. There will, of course there will be a midwife sitting in the corner, it will be fine. Um, and I was sad because I'd had a re- I've got a really close friend and she was a midwife um, for a long time. So I attended births as a doula. Like with her, she was an independent midwife. And as of January, that January 1st, that year, they brought in that law that endorsed midwives had to have um, the extra – um, study and they had to have two midwife, two endorsed midwives present. Um, yeah. present. Yeah. So had I got pregnant and birthed literally like six months before, she could have attended my birth. But because I happened to have a baby at that time, she was no longer practicing because she wasn't endorsed. Um, so it was just all of these things that would just kept coming up that I was just, and I was frustrated and sad that you know these other women had been able to have these experiences so easily and everywhere I was going I was just coming up with blocks everywhere 
anyway, things kind of continued fine. Um, luckily, I mean, really fortunately, my pregnancy was went very smoothly. Um, I had no issues at all. Um, right up until, well, we got to 41 weeks and I started to say to my midwife, you know, what, what happens next? What happens if I keep going? Cause for me, I, I don't have any, I don't have any issues. I don't feel like I need to sort of do anything. I actually went the opposite way with, um, Bodie's pregnancy than Sunny's where I didn't get the acupuncture and I didn't, I just really went inside myself. I didn't rely on the external stuff like I did before. Um, I, I did get some chiropractor, but like, I just really wanted to go within me. I did a lot of internal work, heaps and heaps of internal work, um, to support myself. And I think that was partly why my intuition was really, um, heavily guiding me but right up until about 41 weeks where um she said to me well if you get to 42 weeks you can't you can't home birth yeah so that's the other restriction too isn't it on home birth yeah 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 Yeah, you can't so any high anything classified high risk and the parameters for high risk are so incredibly narrow when you think about the scope I mean that's even if you get into MGP let alone um you know, if mm. you're high or low risk. And at any moment, if you get high risk. You're done. Um, <laughs> you're done. Yep. You're not, can you not birth at home? But you may or may not get the midwives as well. You may be put over to the medical team. And this is what they don't tell you. So I kept thinking, well, that's fine. I'll just birth before 42 weeks because, you know, I will because that's just what happens and the statistics are that most people, you know, birth before 42 weeks. I think I was forgetting the fact that people birth before 42 weeks because they're booked in at an induction at 40 plus 10 at their booking appointment. Everyone is. Everybody has an induction date. Um, you can decline it, but it's in there. So, and I was definitely not having an induction. I was doing nothing. I was going to do nothing to make my baby come before he wanted to come. And that was really important to me. Um, so 40 and, and I had a friend, um, a year before, I think roughly a year before who had had the exact same thing happen. She's also a doula and she got to 42 weeks and I sat with her. They gave her till midnight. So they give you till midnight. Um, of course you're like freaking out for the whole day. So of course you're not going to go into labor. Um, and I sat with her at 42 weeks and she just cried and, um, She's like, she said, I can't go in the kitchen because the birth pool is up. Um, and I just can't believe that I'm losing this opportunity, you know. And and I remember very vividly sitting with her and just thinking this is so unfair. And I guess that hadn't really hit me until I was in the same position. And I just kept thinking, I, surely, surely I'm not going to go to 42 weeks, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen very often. She ended up birthing at 42 and three, I think, 42 and three, and ended up deciding that for her, she was happy to go into the hospital. Um, but I just, I just couldn't believe it. So I ended up going into a panic mode and because for me going into the hospital, I can go into the hospital as a doula and it, you know, is a non-issue. Like I can support women in whatever it is that they're wanting. But for me personally, it is not what I wanted. And the idea of going into the hospital 
was really terrifying, especially because I would have a massive high-risk label. Um, it wasn't so much the going into hospital to birth because, I, you know, I had done that before and I was still carrying some of that trauma. But to go into the hospital and be forced um, to not be where I want to be and not be where I feel safe and to walk in with a high-risk, um, you know, stand yeah. on head and not only that but I wouldn't know who my midwife would be on the night so that's so much to take on isn't it like when you're just primed ready to birth when you should be not even thinking about anything exactly and that's exactly how I felt so I went through phases of being really angry to being just really just so sad that this is even a this is even coming up. <laughs> so I went to panic mode um, and I did all the things. I went for acupuncture, you know, every single day and I went for Cairo and I was walking up flights of stairs and eating the pineapple and doing all the things. The only thing I refused to try was the castor oil because I didn't feel, <laughs> feel like that was safe for yeah. me. Um, and, yeah, and, you know, I was so stressed. Of course he wasn't going to come. <laughs> And it was so chilled and happy. Like he really was fine and I was fine, but we've got this tag on us. So anyway, I had to come to terms with the fact that um, hospital would be would be it um, or most likely be it. So I called, I actually called another hospital because I thought maybe if I go to another hospital um, that's a little bit more, uh, they've got sort of, it's a bit like a birth centre, it's a bit more like a birth centre. Um and it would be different from the first experience that I had. So I called them up and she was like, oh, I don't know whether we can take you on because we're low risk. Um, I'll get back to you. And I said, no worries, that's that's fine. Um, she did make the comment like, well, you know, we only take on low risk and at 42 weeks that's a bit dangerous and we don't want a dead baby. And I'm thinking that's a great way to start the conversation. But anyway, she said she'll call me back. Yeah. In the meantime, I had decided that I didn't want to go there and that um, I didn't want to change. But she had also just taken it upon herself to call my midwife and tell her that I was changing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Challenging oh as well to tell my midwife. I said, look, I did call this other hospital um, just to find out what my options were. It wasn't that I was changing. It was just that I needed to know what my options looked like. Lucky I told her because then she said, oh, yeah, um, yes, I spoke to her and the other woman on at the other hospital had told me she'd spoken to my midwife and I said to her, I never said I was even doing this and I never gave you permission to speak to my midwife. She really could have compromised that relationship with my midwife. Um, so I was really cross about that, like really cross and really hurt um, that there would be that breach of confidentiality. I was already feeling so um, like almost broken again, like yeah. just so just everywhere that I turned, you know, there was nothing wrong. There was, there's no issues, but all I wanted is just to have the choice to birth where I feel safe. And yeah. everyone talks about how home birth is safe, you know, and it should be an option. And if I had wanted, if I'd walked into the hospital and said, give me a cesarean, they probably would have, but I asked to have a home birth, which should be an option. And I, I, yeah, was coming up with hurdles, non yeah, and just again, like what a space to be in at this point of your pregnancy when you shouldn't have to be negotiating with people or, you know, you 
you should be safe in knowing that you can sit there and welcome your baby and go into that space like because that's kind of labor you know that's all part of it it's the energetics of it it's it's everything and it's like from the day dot you get these massive restrictions that we're always just fighting like constantly and that's what I really needed especially after my first experience I needed to feel that I was safe because I didn't trust myself and I I really just needed to feel like everything external was okay so I could work internally Um, and that wasn't the case at all, Mm. (laughs) not at all. Um, I got told, you know, just have a stretch and sweep. There's no risks whatsoever Um, and I I kept saying to them, like, I really don't want to do anything to disturb him. I want him to come when he's ready. I really feel strongly about this and, and don't tell me that, a stretch and sweep has no risks because the risk is actually that I will go have a really, really long labour and I will um, experience something similar to last time and I shouldn't have to be telling them, you know, what the risks are. They should be being honest with me, but they weren't. They were just saying, well, you know, there's no risks. Um, And my midwife by that point was off, so I was – I did have contact with another midwife um and she came at one point and you know everyone was sort of just really dismissive I suppose like she was really she was um it was nice she came over and you know she was supportive she didn't know me though um and her and my midwife and anyone I spoke to was quite dismissive like well you know you're 42 weeks just come in it's not a big deal to come into the hospital and for a lot of women it's not a big deal but what they're missing is um the element of mental health and the element of, you know, we need to support women where they're at and we need to understand what post-traumatic stress looks like. We need to understand that women who have had traumatic births in the past have specific needs and midwives of all people should understand that. They they suffer vicarious trauma themselves. Um, but that was not taken into consideration as well and the dismissiveness of my needs really hurt massively because you shouldn't have to I'm quite a proud person I don't like to have to keep justifying why I have certain needs um so yeah that was that was pretty hard and that was pretty hard to take um but so I had 42 and one to go into labor active labor they were the the rules yeah 42 and one to go into active labor um, by eight, I think it was eight o'clock in the morning on the sat the Friday morning. I had to have been labour, otherwise it would be cut off. So we had the birth pool up, we had everything kind of set up, hoping that it would happen, um, and it did not. And yeah. my my midwife messaged me at eight o'clock on the dot. It was like, you know, your timers. I can't remember what it words were, but and I remember you posting around that time and sort of keeping people up to date with what was going on and how did that feel like at eight o'clock like can you describe the feelings I was I'm not the kind of person that becomes um defeated or helpless but I was I felt really broken at that point even just thinking I I was speechless my friend um she actually she she came straight over actually and because James was like my husband he was like "Uh, I just I don't know what to do and my friend Erin came over and that was really helpful because we got to talk it out because, or, yeah, she was supporting me um, 
as a friend, obviously. And we were just like, so what, what's the next step? You know, what are we going to do? And I was so defeated on the phone and even she was shocked. Um, because normally I can sort of come up with something, but there just was nothing. Like there was no, there was no positives coming out of it. Like I, and, and I just felt so furious, so furious that this option was taken away from me. Um, and that, that I, didn't want to go in even more like I felt even more scared because I felt like if they can take this away from me what's going to happen when I go in there you know what I I was just in panic I was in real panic mode I think I just um <clears throat> yeah I did end up calling another independent midwife as well and just saying look can you just come for the birth like I've been dropped from the midwifery group practice and um actually I called two of them and one of them said she wouldn't be able to and the other one said oh I'm not sure if I could it's going to cost about it was close to six thousand dollars or something just for her to come to the birth and um and then she was like oh I'm not sure and I'll need to get back to you because I think for her like the continuity of care isn't there she doesn't know me yeah Um, anyway she never she never got back to me and it just wasn't really it just didn't happen um, so I had, yeah, I had no other options and, unless I decided that what I really wanted was to free birth. My option was to go into the hospital and there was no way. Cause then I even said to my midwife, like, can you or someone just come just for the labor? And just because what if this baby does come fast? And I said this, what if it comes fast? You know, my last labor was 72 hours. Um, I'm, I don't know what it feels like to sort of, I mean, I know, as a doula what it's like but when I'm on the inside I really feel like I want someone there who can support me to transfer at a time that isn't gonna I I don't want to have my baby in the car but I also don't want to go in too early like can you just come labor because I know a lot of wives they offer that they come just for the labor um and then transferring together because then I would have had some support at home and then we could transfer together I think maybe she was scared that I would decline transferring in or something. I'm not sure, but she said no. Mm. She said no one would come. Mm. And so that was it? She just cut you off like that? Yeah, that was it. Right. That was um, She was not on call anymore, so she was handing me over. And the thing that really, really did it for me was she said that she can't guarantee that I will get an MGP midwife when I get in. I might just be put into the birth centre. And that freaked me out a lot Mm. Um, because knowing my last experience and knowing the things that I really valued and needed with me when I did transfer in made all the difference and I didn't feel strong enough to go in, just the two of us, not knowing who would greet us, not knowing if I'd be hooked up. I just didn't want to fight. Being 42 weeks high risk you know last time I transferred in there was something there was something not going right and I wanted the intervention you know like I that was why I was going there for this time I didn't want any and actually I didn't need any so it was really scary to go in knowing that I didn't want to be there and knowing that they that they're going to want to monitor because I think when you're 42 weeks and you go in they want to monitor and all sort of stuff and you know it could have gone two ways I could have had a great midwife and um it could have gone beautifully or not. But the uncertainty of that with all of the other uncertainty and all of the fighting and all of the knowledge that I had was just, it was eating away at me and I was really, 
really struggling. Um, but I think if partly the relief of that time passing, um, there, there was an element of relief because it's like, okay, well, it's done. There's nothing else I can do. There's nothing else I can control around this. Um, there's nothing worse they can do to me now, you know, unless I, like, until I go in. At this moment, I'm in control. Well, I'm not in control. I just, I can just um, completely surrender to the process. Yeah. Um, and surrender to my baby and what he needs. So that's kind of what I did. I just spent, we just spent the day down the beach. Um, and yeah, there was nothing left to do except wait. Um, of course, within about four hours, I got contracted. So I was able to relax because I wasn't stressing anymore because there was nothing left to stress about. Um, and it was what it was. So four hours later, I, I started getting contractions and I messaged my midwife and just said, and I, I hesitated. I was like, do I message her? And then I was like, well, I've got nothing else to lose. Mm. Dignity really. So I messaged her and just said, look, it's only four hours um, since the cutoff. I'm getting contractions. I'm in labor. Do you think you can come? And she said, no. <laughs> um, and that was that. Yeah. So, yeah, so I just went into labour and um, it was it was not night. It was just pre-labour, like um, the contractions were kind of sporadic and whatever and they got a bit stronger and then by about midnight I think I went to bed and then I woke up in the morning uh, and my friend came over and James was there and the plan was because we so when on the Friday uh when the cutoff had happened we talked about you know so what what are our options you know and we did we we did talk about do I just free birth and I stood by the whole time like I really don't want to I feel like women need to be safe wherever they birth and I don't feel like I'll feel I I really admire women that free birth and um now that I've had this experience I think next time you know, if I if I was having exam, probably not. But if I was, I feel differently. Um, but at that moment, I didn't want to free birth. I really didn't. Um, but I said to them, "Look, we'll just stay at home for as long as we possibly can." And then, because the hospital was like eight minutes away, so it wasn't very far. It's a pretty straight run. Um, but if the baby was to come really, really fast, then we would probably call an ambulance. Um, and someone had said to me that in the, about, I don't know, 10 years ago or something, they, maybe not that long, where, anyway, whenever the independents were around, something they used to do was that they would call the ambulance and they would ask them to just wait outside, um, and they would wait until the woman, like, because the woman would be labouring fine. And so you just ask them to wait outside until you're ready and then they come in um, because we'd heard experiences of women kind of getting ripped out of the pool and, you know, babies being taken away and stuff. And, you know, you can't always take on people's negative stories. But I felt really like, oh, that seems like a reasonable option, you know, where I can call them at least if I, I've got some support and, maybe they'll just respect our wishes that they can just wait a second until we feel ready and then come in and just explain to them what our needs are, which is, you know, skin to skin and don't cut the cord and things like that. 
So anyway, in the back of our head, because we'd gone through every single possible plan. So we weren't planning a free birth, but we had just gone through every possible plan and that had been one of the things we had discussed. So I went to labour. Um, I had a sleep overnight, got up in the morning and um, was in active labour. And I, I just thought it was just going to keep going <laughs> because I had such a long labour last mm, time. Yeah. And I didn't really know what to expect um, and I was really able to go within myself. Like I I had such a different experience. Um, I, I completely switched off my logical brain. I don't know how given everything else that was going on but I, I, I managed to just go within myself. I was not... I was not dictated by my brain. I wasn't able to make decisions or talk coherently like I was the first time. Um, I was really in that zone and I was able to get in that zone. And I think part of that was just being in my space and feeling safe and having the people around me that I wanted. And because we had the pool up already, um, because I thought I was going to have a midwife come, I just got in the pool at one point um, when because um, I was terrified of vomiting. I was really scared that I would be vomiting over and over. Um, but I didn't, luckily. I mean, I did feel a little bit sick, but I didn't. And so I got into the pool and that eased my anxiety a lot. And then I just, getting in the pool was like everything. And then I just zoned out. Um, and in the meantime, my friend and my husband packed the car and they were timing my contractions and they were like, you know, I think we should go now. I think we should um, get going. And I was like, no, I, I'm good. It's still a while. It's still ages. Like, I think I'm fine. And then they, I started kind of grunting a little bit and they're like, no, I think we need to go right now. We need to go. And, um, uh, I tried to get out of the pool and then I started to vomit and I couldn't move. I think I was in transition at that point, but I didn't know that or I wasn't acknowledging that. And I was so out of it. I couldn't really kind of keep it together. It was only a few out, like the altogether. I think labor was about four. Active labor was about four hours. Um, so then I just refused, and they tried getting me out. They tried pulling me out. I was like, no, nah, not going. Um, maybe my subconscious was like, this is, you know, this is what you want. Um, but it was never a conscious decision. It was never a planned decision, and I regret not planning it as a possible option um, because then. James was like, okay, well, then I'm going to call the ambulance like we discussed. And I was like, do whatever you want. Um, the baby's coming. And all of a sudden he was coming. <laughs> and the ambulance came and um, they came to the door and he was crowning and I just yelled at James. I was like, just just let me push him out. Let me push him out in my safe space. And, you know, like we talked about and, and asked them just if they can wait just for a minute. Anyway, he tried to ask them. My husband is like the most calm, like placid person, but they took, they were quite angry about the fact that he had asked that. And maybe they thought that he was hiding something or maybe they thought, I don't know what they were thinking, but it was my request. And they said, well, you know, if you don't let us in, then we're leaving and, um, you need to let us in. You've called us. So he comes back to me. He says, "Look, if if they if we if they don't come in, then they're going to leave. Is that what you want?" And I was like, "Well, I want to make sure that 
you know, there's someone here, you know, in case there's anything wrong. Um, Because I still had that mindset of, like, maybe something is wrong. I think it's kind of ingrained in in many of us, you know, in our own – for our own babies. And I also knew in Adelaide if anything happens, like, at home, it's all over the news, you know. (laughs) Yeah. I also knew that, you know, that my friend or my husband would get with the legislation that that there could be implications for them. So I felt like I I needed to – think about that as well so anyway in the meantime of him coming inside and asking me what I wanted they called the police to make a report um because there was a baby involved and so anyway they come storming in as as Bodhi is coming out hang on so the police came storming in like into your house so the ambulance people came storming in first we didn't know the police called at this stage they just did it um and so, uh, and at this stage, I'm like, I'm forcing my baby. <laughs> I'm like, you got to get out because I was really worried about what they were going to do, like if they were going to pull me out of the pool or what. So I was probably not pushing in a in the calm way that I would have liked to. Um, and in high, you know, I really, really regret making the phone call. But I didn't. But I didn't know at the time. I didn't trust my body at the time, and I just felt like I just wanted to make sure. Um, you know, anyway, it wasn't the plan. Yeah. So I mean, you had so much going on. It's just no wonder your subconscious was like, this is my safe space, the end, you know. Yeah, that, <laughs> exactly. Well, you get it, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so they come in and, and one of the ambos was so beautiful and gentle and lovely and the other one was clearly terrified of birth. <laughs> so like Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, and she was like, "You need to get out of the pool. We need the baby now, Rara." And I was like, "You're not having him. You like just stop. Like you're not cutting the cord. We're having a lotus birth. Like stop." Can you can you just tell me what that was like in that point of your labour, having to have that conversation? What what is? Could you go back to that and tell me what that felt like? Like in the moment, in the moment, I was so. Can I swear? I was. Can I say? Yeah, yeah. I was so fucking ecstatic that I pushed my baby out by myself. <laughs> I was so happy. I was so proud of myself and I was not taking in anything else that was happening. And if you look at there's a photo of me and my eyes are so dilated and I'm just like I'm so in the birth zone and I was so like, oh, my God, I did this. Like I did it in water. Like, And then all of a sudden I, like a snap because she wanted to cut the cord like almost immediately and take him. Now his upguard was like 10. Um, he was big, he was like four kilos and, and um, but he was fine. Like he was perfect. And I put him straight on my chest and all I was caring about was the fact that my baby was on my chest and I did it with like no one there. Um, and I was like, fuck all of them. And, you know, like, <laughs> I felt so, I felt really proud of myself because I smashed all of that distrust that I had in my body and in myself from my previous birth and it was like all of that stuff that I had been leading up to for my first birth I felt like I was living it in that moment like I got the rush that I didn't get with Sunny I yeah. got massive oxytocin rush that I hadn't had before so for me I was like whatever I don't even care it wasn't until after that I actually realized the gravity of what was actually going on and the 
the complete terror that my friend and my husband were in because so at that moment so the beautiful um Ambo was like it's okay like we're not going to take you out of the pool you don't have to do anything you don't want to we're just here to like make sure everything's okay and you know it's all fine whereas the other one was like you know, you need to give him to me. We need to cut the cord. She had the scissors all out. And I was like, don't, don't touch him. In that moment, or maybe just slightly before, I can't quite remember the timing, maybe just as I was pushing him out, a uniformed police officer walked into my house and stood over the pool as oh, I was pushing my baby out. Gosh. So I like now and I have flashbacks of what that was like. But at that moment, I was like, who are you? And what are you doing here? And what's happening? Like, I had no idea. Um, and so like, he shouldn't even, he should not have been that close to me either. Like he was right up in, in there. Like he should have been, and this is why we stay home. So we don't have people like gawking at us. Mm. Um, anyway, at some other point, so they got me out of the pool, um, because they're really scared of placentas, um, and, and stuff like that because they just want they just wanted to get me out and take me to hospital where they thought I would be safe. So in that moment, they get me out of the pool. I'm trying to bond with my baby and they're just they're freaking out. Um, and so as they're freaking out, then I'm suddenly kind of being brought to and I start bleeding like a lot. And as you do in when the third stage is not respected, and I'm standing when I'd just been in a pool. So I wasn't able to sort of get comfortable. I wasn't able to relax. I wasn't warm. Um, and they're all buzzing around me, like freaking out. Anyway, in that time, at some point, I'm standing there um, like naked and two other young police officers walked in. Um, so no one like rang the doorbell. No one knocked the door. They just walked in and they stood there and they had cameras on their lapels and they were freaking I, I, rem, I can picture their faces they were young and they were freaking and you could tell that they were scared of birth mm. and obviously one of those ambos had been to a traumatic experience around birth so she was freaking um so I remember like I remember just bleeding and thinking like this probably isn't good so my friend suddenly gets like she rushes around she's getting all I do remember this and she laughs about it because she was like I just needed to find something to do and I was like I'm so grateful she got me some of um Julie Bell's um afterbirth tea cool I'm like sitting on this warm tea as I'm getting on the gurney and like I've got my baby skin to skin and the placenta still attached so the other ambo made sure that the placenta was still attached um, and thank God, because if it hadn't been, it would have. I reckon it would have been a lot worse. So the placenta and the baby was still attached, and I get on the gurney. Anyway, I remember just saying to the policeman, he seemed really quite friendly, and I think he was probably shocked by what was going on. And he goes, "I said, oh, are we in trouble? Like, what? What's happening? Why are you here?" <laughs> I had no idea what was going on, and he was like, "Oh." I just need to be here to make sure everybody's safe. Um, there's a baby involved and, and I just need to make sure that the baby is safe. And I was like, well, we this wasn't planned. This is just me having a baby. If, if he wasn't safe, would something be happening? And he was like, oh, everything's fine. And then he asked me for everybody's names and who else lives in the house. And I didn't know what he was doing. I didn't realise actually he was getting information so he could make a report. 
um, yeah. which he did. So they made a child protection report, which is, you know, whatever. Like they're not going to do anything because everybody is safe. It wasn't we weren't trying to put anybody at risk. Um, so then they asked my husband if we could all go and they lock up because they wanted to start, they wanted to check out our house. I'm assuming, so I, I think what they were looking for is to make sure that there wasn't um, any unregistered midwives hiding, um, which of course there weren't. But that, so they, so hang on. So they consciously knew this at the time, like this is what they were doing. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, after but yeah yeah so they were taking photos and checking it you know they're like oh you've obviously got another child and they're obviously looking for something and and that's what we can gather because then so we went I went in the hospital in the ambulance with my friend and the ambulance driver who was the quite the one who was a bit um harsher with me was huffing and puffing the whole way she was furious this shouldn't have happened this you know yeah. she was she was furious like now I have to put the sirens on and um she was not happy and and I I just remember I was bleeding so much and I looked over to the woman and I was like why aren't you giving me Sinto I have Sinto in the fridge why aren't you giving me that and she's like oh we don't give it I said but I'm bleeding like it's gonna take us eight minutes to get to the hospital just if you give me that I won't you know, it'll help the bleeding. Now nah, we will be at the hospital in a minute. <laughs> and that I still don't understand. I still don't understand why they're trained for <laughs> midwives. Um, what do they, they use it for then if it's there? <laughs> well, it was only there because I was having a home birth and it was supposed to be for the midwife to use. Okay, right, right. Sorry. Okay, the right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the ambulance yeah, yeah. But that would have helped a lot. Yeah. I didn't realise until I wrote my blog how close I was to bleeding out. Like I didn't quite realise. So it made me even more angry because had had I died, let's be honest, it would have been all over the news that I was being reckless and I was being, um, you know, all of those things that they say about women who choose where they want to birth. You know, yeah. if I went yeah. into the hospital and chosen a cesarean, that would have been my choice and no one would have blinked an eye. Yeah. If I choose to stay home and something had happened to me, um, everybody would have heard about it and how dangerous birth is and how dangerous um, home birth is. And so I'm so grateful that I have this opportunity to say, to tell, to tell my story and say why I chose what I did. Not that I have to justify it, but for people to understand, not that everyone will understand, but, you know, to try and give a different perspective. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this has all shown up again for you and just think of the work that you're doing now. Exactly. Um, I'm struggling to do birth work again, I must say. I think I'm really – we're hitting so many blocks mm. into women's choice and women's ability to – have autonomy over their own body and have autonomy over their own birth choices yeah. and fear around birth is just being so um, fostered, you know, just continually um, strewn through every everything that you read. Mm. That's and why yeah, that's why I'm seeing your work as uh, creating power for women, you know, women finding their own power. You're you're just that, helping that. You know, it's not just birth. I think this is like, this is women. <laughs> and it starts so young, like being a, uh, I worked as a school counsellor, I worked with young women. It starts so early. They like, they like to frighten 
young girls into fearing birth right from, you know, 12. Or younger. Yeah. Well, look at the work you do with menstruation. Like it's it's the exact same that we're feared and the system, how we shame and guilt around our menstrual cycle from day dot. Like oh, co- you know, yeah, so like covered it up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fear and shame around menstruation, around our bodies, around our abilities to do what we need to do. But um, yeah, and and just fear and and needing to hand yourself over because it's. It's so dangerous, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We need we need the intervention because we can't do it ourselves, and the lack of, um, I guess, empowerment, you know, that and trust that yeah. we can. And that's that's the one amazing thing that I have so much gratitude for is I have no distrust for my body. Like I just I did it, and. Yeah. I didn't need anybody else and, um, you know, I really think if there was a midwife there to support me um, in that golden hour, I think that things would have been different and I wouldn't have bled as much. And even if I had bled, I would have had Sinto and a midwife who could administer it, you know, yep. or at least a calming, someone calming who could say, I think we need to transfer now rather than this fear I was just surrounded by fear and fear is passed on through just being in the same space as someone and all I kept thinking is you know all I've done is reinforce their fear of birth you know because that's not what I wanted but they were those young ones watching that blood like you could tell but they were the ones creating that situation like this is the the stupidity and the just the frustration is that you know that didn't have to be like that yeah and those young ones are going to go and have partners and they will inflict that experience that imprint onto their partners and what do they have to debrief that situation where someone can support yeah yeah I know it's almost like I wish they all came to your house and had a cup of tea and you could have all talked about it and well interesting (laughs) You know, I, I hope some of them read my blog, but um, interestingly, when we got to the hospital, um, the Ambo who called the police in the first place, she stayed with me the whole time and they shut the door on me. So they put me in emergency and because I was bleeding a lot, my placenta was a bit retained, like there was lots going on. Um, but she stood by me and she got, and I was a bit angry because I was like, I don't want you here, but actually she made sure that she got something for the placenta to go in so it could stay attached because I really, really wanted him to have uh, like a modified lotus birth. And, and I, and she held my hand and she was like, you know, I don't really know why the police came. And, um, and I was like, well, and in my head I'm going, cause you called them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and to her and I was like, and I rem- this is, I don't remember a whole lot, it's all a bit fuzzy, but I do remember turning to her and saying, are you okay? And she was like, she looked at me like, it's like, well, you, seem really, you seemed really scared. And she was like, she was kind of taken aback and she was like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. But she softened and I think she, oh, I think she said, I'm just really glad that you're okay. Yeah. So she was really frightened, you know, about the something she's obviously experienced. And I remember when we came in, someone had said to her, like, oh, 
are you okay? So I think she's got some kind of past stuff going on and maybe, you know, and so having her and having her soften and being able to actually stand with her and kind of have that little moment, um, as much as I'm angry about the fact that that even had to happen, um, I feel like there was some warming and some healing in that moment. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's it's almost like, and I've heard of this before with, um, you know, you look at your hierarchical health professional scale that on a woman-to-woman level, it's like she's just dropped all of that stuff yeah. and come to you as woman-to-woman. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 And yeah. As much, so I in some ways I blame her for what, like the most traumatic thing that happened was that the police walked in and the fact that my my bleeding is on film, um, you know, that stays with me and I'm still, you know, I still struggle with a lot of that and I do have a lot of stuff like to unpack that will probably stay with me. Um, so I, I am frustrated and a bit angry that she called the police because that didn't have to happen. Um, but, yeah, that moment was important for both of us I think yeah and how was your beautiful husband like with the police and all of this because they did sort of go through your house and question and yeah how was that after interrogation and all of that how was actually they wouldn't let him in so a police officer stood out the front of my door oh you're Um, kidding in the hospital in the hospital so we got to the hospital I got wheeled in and stuff was happening to me and I'm screaming because they're trying to put something in I don't have enough blood for them to like get a a cannulation um and they closed the door and they wouldn't let him in and they could he could hear me and he could hear Bodhi and they wouldn't let him in and they interrogated him and they spent a really long time interrogating my friend um and they asked her about four different ways the young guy was like in four different ways he asked her whether she was an unregistered midwife um so that was terrifying and all she could hear was me in the other room and she was both of them were just terrified that I was going to die and they were standing there having to be interrogated by police oh my god so it was incredibly traumatic for them maybe even more so for me um because I was having the oxytocin high um you know so it was was traumatic for everybody and for my husband he you know he struggled he was like did I do the right thing I was just doing what you asked me to do I was trying to respect pieces and you know maybe they thought that I was to to blame and you know he it, it was hard it was really hard and um we didn't let them stay and lock up like he so James had to stay and lock up for them people have said to me like they shouldn't have been let in and they didn't have a warrant or anything but apparently because there was a child under whatever yeah. they have the right to enter mm. um so it was really hard. It was really hard for my friend because she thought that the police were going to rock up on her, her doorstep, um, you know, under the restrictive birthing practices because they interrogated her. She she had nothing, you know, she, she did nothing than be my support and my rock, you know, same with my husband. So then I spent the whole next three days um, – terrified for her you know that I've put her in this position and that I was irresponsible for not just going when they asked me to go because what if she so it was it was a real roller coaster after because as much as I was feeling I mean my body was feeling rough from losing so much blood but um I felt mostly on a high um and and Bodhi and I were bonding really well and it was different from then the first time but I was terrified of of the implications that this would have that you know what it we've seen what's happened to other people on the news and, you know, she had to, she chatted to a lawyer and 
all kinds of stuff, all kinds of horrific things were going through our minds. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really scary time for all of us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause we didn't know what it would, what would come out of it. Yeah. And I, like, I encourage everyone to get on and read your blog post to get more of those finer details of, um, the flow on effect from this and, how you've come to, I guess, into that place where you've come to talk about this and share this experience because, like you said, this is enough and we need to just stop. We need to have the real discussions, you know. We need to talk about this because this is what's happening. Yes. Um, and you're, you're right. Why We're not yeah. in a point where we can celebrate it yet because we no. – we're, we're, we're losing our midwives. Women are being forced into making choices um, that, you know, that don't make them feel safe. And that just goes the, against the whole grain of health practice is to do no harm. So Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and just when options are not available, options that we know um, are safe for women, you know, for low-risk women, we know that home birth, is safe. I've got all of the, the evidence listed and yet I just couldn't access it. Um, you know, and and I was never I've always been pro having a midwife and for those who have had free births, uh, I just think are incredible. Unassisted births are, are incredible. Um but I'd always wanted a midwife and I'd always advocated for midwives. But you know, now I don't know how safe that is for Lots of people, we don't have midwives. We don't have that as an option. We don't have, um, yeah, I think I would, I would do things differently if I, if I went again and especially in our state where we do have so many people on, on high alert um, around birth. It, yeah, it, yeah. It's, I, can't believe, I just can't believe we even have to have these discussions that it's gotten this bad. Yeah, exactly, yeah, and and. You, it just does not make sense at all when True. your story is a classic example of this that, you know, from like having this 42-week mark and a text at 8 a.m. in the morning, like that's it, you're out, you know. I gave you all this care and it's not the midwife's fault. No. It's just that she's so in fear of the system that she has to adhere to, you know, or she can't practice at all. And imagine that feeling being that's like, you know, I can't practice the thing I love, but I have to do it in a, such a restricted way that it's just, it's soul destroying. It's crushing. And frightening for them to lose their houses and lose, you know, whatever. They're all leaving. They're leaving the state. They're leaving. Um, we just can't access it, you yeah. know. And yeah. Not to mention if you're, if you're outside of the guidelines, you, you know, if you've had a previous cesarean or you have a breach or you have twins or, you know, you absolutely cannot access that continuity of continuity of care that we talk about as gold standard yeah um yeah and I think this is the thing it's not like we're all saying oh home birth is the best and everyone should do it it's like continuity of care is the best and everyone should have access to it if they choose to because it should be an option And and every woman should choose the birth that makes her feel safe and she should have um options around you know evidence-based options because we're not given the honest truth either about what risk factors there are around induction and the fact that you know nobody goes over 42 we don't have statistics 
good enough on women who go over, you know, 42 weeks because women don't because we have so many inductions and women can make that choice but they're not always making an informed choice. Um, And we're not given those, the care, the continuity of care or the information. Yeah, yeah, and it it just trickles out into so many things too. Like just so much gets missed when you don't have continuity of care and if you look at mental health or any other like pre-pregnancy health concerns that could come up, if you had someone that um, genuinely knew the person, they'd be able to identify these measures before they took into place. Exactly. And the mental health stuff where um, that wasn't acknowledged and it wasn't supported the way that it needed to be, um, you know, I can't imagine women who don't have, who are first-time mums or who don't have any experience or any understanding or any education in the in the birth field trying to navigate the system. If I couldn't navigate it, you know, how is how any supposed to navigate it? Yeah. Who, who are trying to, to meet their needs, let alone, you know, midwives not supporting the mental health. Yeah. I just yeah blows my mind. Which I think is the primary, like if you get a woman that can open up because she feels safe with that midwife or a few midwives, then she's going to open up to a lot of things about her life that might, again, get missed. And I just don't think an Edinburgh scale where you're in a white clinical office and go, oh, you score over um, 14 um, would you like a fridge magnet for counselling is just going to yeah. cut it. I just think that's bullshit. No, exactly. <laughs> and actually I didn't need anything from her other than for her to acknowledge that this is what was going on and to put some, some measures in place to support the needs. The needs were not yeah. I just needed to know who my midwife was going to be Yeah. and to have Yeah. and to and- know that I was supported. I my own work I already had you know I've already got um support outside of her I didn't need anything from her other than for her to acknowledge what what my needs were and not even that happened yeah so and is that really is that too much to ask for us as women is that really like should we even have to ask like it's our friggin birthright you know this is our right to our bodies it's our choice we should not have to get permission. No. Before we wrap it up, can you just tell me, like, this yeah. is such an epic story and I I feel like you're telling it now. I remember we spoke, um, you know, just after your birth with Bodhi and it was still very raw for you at the time and, um, you know, I, I feel like you spoke it so beautifully today in a really healing way and can you tell me what did you do this time to get the healing and support that you needed? Is there anything that you can just recommend from this experience for other women especially? Yes. Um, so Bodhi just turned one. So it's been that year, which I think um, is quite significant. I think that gives you just just enough distance to kind of I go in waves and I think I always will. Um, birth is still a little bit raw but I feel stronger than I have um in a long time um and I can speak about it kind of with some happiness I suppose um whereas I I struggled for a little bit 
I think what the biggest thing for me, um, I had to acknowledge every part of it, the light and the dark, um, which I think is really important. Uh, I do tend to throw myself into my work and I think for me that's really healing around passing down the wisdom that feels like it's always been forgotten and the more we can pass this wisdom down, the more women can feel like they um, can have the birth experience that they want or any experience and not feel shame and not feel fear and that it can be achieved. And as much as um, there were parts of my story, obviously, that were quite quite traumatic, there are parts of it that made me feel I'm so grateful and happy. And in the end, I got the birth that I wanted. Um, it was just some ex- external factors that really dampened that. But, you know, we got the birth that he, birth he could have had, really. Like, for mm. him, um, he was amazing. He had no intervention. He had no prodding and prodding. We had such an amazing and deep spiritual So we had bonding. I didn't get postnatal depression. Um, so it kind of you know makes sense I've got a completely yin a completely yang baby now like the two of them are polar opposites in every in every way and they've taught me um complete polar opposites one of them taught me about you know my mind and switching that off and the other one has really taught me about um fighting for my rights and flowing and going going with myself and that's been amazing. I think the biggest thing, apart from having support and um, having somebody who understands, so having a perinatal psychologist rather than kind of your regular psychologist, has been hugely helpful. Um, but the biggest thing recently, um, I I made a stand where I was, I just decided that I was no longer going to feel like a victim in this situation. Um, or in any situation, um, we had a lot of uncertainty, like I talked about, and I'm reframing my story to to power me rather than to bring me down. You know, I um, have got a lot of positives out of it. Um, I'm striving to make make a difference. I'm listening to myself when I need to step back from it. And I'm in control of how I feel about it and I'm in control of um, what happens next. So I'm not seeing myself as a victim. I don't want people to, like, feel sorry for me. Um, And that's really a a choice that I've made and making that choice makes all the difference. Wow. What a beautiful circle to just go through, like, just shows us as women as cyclically, you know, yeah. beings that yes. you've had this experience but you've found the healing and the gifts in it and you've shared it with other people. I mean, yeah. that's the gift too. Thank you. Mm. Yes. <laughs> wow. And I'm just going to yell at your website because I just want to talk about Thank the work you. that you do. Um, you are just like all over everything, like um, <laughs> menstrual flow, mentorship, Reiki, um, shamanic drum work, healing, um, birth preparation. You're doing a journey. I, what was the journey that you were telling me or you were doing where people were signing up? The grandma, uh, tell me. <laughs> the flow. Yeah. It's a 40-day transformational journey that I yeah, um, yeah. Erin and that is about um, 
working through and understanding um, the wisdom of our cycles. So all the cycles, so menstrual cycle, moon cycle, seasons, um, it's, it is that shamanic um, work around um, it, when we understand the foundation uh, of our life that is our birthright to know that so many women feel so disconnected from, when we understand it, it can bring such clarity and um, such understanding to so many aspects of our lives. Um, so I created uh, some planners as well, uh, specifically for birth work, one of them specifically for birth workers. And it also has a foundation of working within your cycles. So you don't have a menstrual cycle. There are lots of other cycles to work with um and so the the course is kind of taking that to the next level around understanding um all of the different facets and aspects and putting it into your own life so it's yeah it's a beautiful little circle um of women that we have and um I'm just about to launch on the dark moon um something I'm calling the Moon Time Energy Exchange, which is a movement that I'm creating based on a quote by Sarah Wickham about wishing that we had a period hotel, you know, wishing that we had somewhere to go to to drop in to that um, yin time. Yeah. And it's all free. Like you just can sign up and you get a whole bunch of like freebies and it's just encouraging women to come together and exchange one to three hours a month um, to support each other and nourish and nurture each other because too often we don't take self-care seriously um, and we don't honour our um, our menstrual phase which or, you know, our, our yin phase when we need to just have stillness and visioning and resting and so it's about women coming together to support each other to do that with no money exchange like no need for anything like that so wow beautiful yes. well, can people find that on your website about that or your facebook or yes, just stay I've tuned a, with you got a facebook group yeah. and i've got um it'll be on my website yes i have a dream <laughs> It's always there when I've got the abundance one day that in yeah. this community I want to build like the, just like that, a period hotel yeah. where you can get a subscription and you get a key and like there's sort of volunteer hours but inside is everything you need. Um, yes. To, and you can just access it yourself. So you've got your key, you can get in there. It's got like, you know, all the amazing herbs, towels, whatever is needed in that space and if people come, then amazing and then you can leave the space and, like, yes. people can just come to it when they need that time and that space. I feel like so many women have that dream. I'll read you the Sarah Wickham um, quote. So I was reading Sarah Wickham. I really love Sarah Wickham's work. And um, she's got this book, Sacred Cycles. And the quote was, how different women's experience would be today if provision was made to build a beautiful and cosy hotel in every community where women could check in for free during their periods or when they were pregnant or menopausal. You could go to this hotel knowing 
that the staff would unobtrusively, unobtrusively pamper you and attend your every need. Whether you wanted to hide away in your room or join other women in communal spaces, as soon as you called to say you were on your way, the hotel would send someone, again for free, to your house and place of work to take over all of your work. The fact that my fantasy hotels are unlikely ever to be built in it is a testimony of how far we've come from a culture which celebrates womanhood, fertility and intuitive ways of knowing in our move towards rationality for all. Perhaps there are things we could do in order to have this be a reality for our daughters and our granddaughters. Wow. So they, and I took that, I was like, challenge accepted. Yeah. And not only have you just created that reality in an online space, which we interject with most, is that you will potentially, you know, create that so people can create that in their own communities physically. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the idea is, um, to bring women together so that in their own communities they find a sister. So that's what the Facebook page is all about, but, you know, do a call out. And then just once a month, you know, one to three hours, it's a reciprocal thing. So, you know, you might um, just look after the other one's kids for two hours while she has a bath and then you might swap over and um, you do her dishes or something. You Just one thing because even though we can't take the whole week off, if we can just have one to three hours to just do that visioning, it's one step forward to being being the change that we want to see and we can all spare one to three hours to be part of the change, I think. I think so too. Can you imagine if, you know, how we talk about it's just normal to talk about how to nurture the seeds to grow it in the gardening realm? Like we're the same, you know, if we're nurtured in that, you know, that new growth phase, the dark moon phase, the seed phase, then we're just going to bloom and we're going to be better people and women and mothers and everything if we're just nurtured when we just, you know, can have a bath for a few hours when we're bleeding. Um, And I'll tell you. When we had the red tent time, the women, that time was honoured. Like the community would go, would want you to go off and have your visioning time so you would come back and be, you know, part of the community and share your dreams and share your visions and that was really um, revered and now it's like, oh, that's just a pain. But imagine if our daughters see us doing this and and taking care of ourselves and honouring that time, then they will think that's normal and then they'll do it and then, They'll just pass it down. It's that generational handover. It has to start somewhere and I feel like the, collectively this this kind of generation of women are really, I said that to you before, so we're in that position where, where we're really wanting that. We're wanting to strip away all of those old layers and um, have the healing that we need so that the next generation can keep passing that down. I'm just absolutely inspired. It's just so good to see you in hearing your journey, not just restricting yourself and blinkering yourself to birth. You know, it's just beyond that, that we need to look wider than just birth. You know, it's, it is this, it's our children that we're doing all this work for. It's, you know, the, the great, great, great grandchildren that can see babies coming out of vaginas and blood and it's all normal and it's all okay. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for for doing this work. Like, thank you. I'm putting my hand over my heart now and I'm saying thank you because this is important. Yes. And all of, all of our work, all of our work is so, it's all the pieces to the the big picture, isn't it? For sure. Yeah. Wow. 
<laughs> thank you again for like the, what a amazing story and journey and oh <laughs> my just, gosh really intense a little bit epic so if anybody is feeling um triggered or if, you know uncomfortable in any way about anything that they heard I really really strongly urge you to to talk to somebody about it um especially if you haven't before um I have found positives in my experience um and there is no shame in any experience that anybody has um but if you do need support, there is support out there. Yeah, well yeah. done. And also, too, everyone's experiences are valid. So your story is unique to you. Yes. My story yes. is unique to me. And someone else's story, you can't compare it. You can't just go and say, well, you know, I just had this and it's all valid. So if you yes. feel like you're triggered by something, then, yeah, have a look at it and talk to it about something because there might be something in there that you could – Uh, learn or heal or see and you know we're all in this together we sure are we sure are did this episode tickle your heart move and rattle you in its wisdom i hope you resonated with the show please head over to the website circleofbirth.com for show notes including my personalized take on the episode pictures resources and how you can connect with a storyteller Sign up to the newsletter and most importantly, please help this show grow to its full potential of serving you in its ancient wisdom. Donations made easy via PayPal. All donations will be received with love. Head to circleofbirth.com slash donate. And yes, I'd love an iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth, we become. We honour you and empower you.